Music is a powerful tool. That's next on Abounding Grace. This is amazing grace. From Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado comes Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. Thanks for hanging out with us as we dive back into Daniel. We begin chapter three. King Nebuchadnezzar is about to build a gold statue and command everyone to bow down to the image or die in a fiery furnace. It's interesting to observe how he used music to move the people. Pastor Ed will take the next two programs to show us how music is a powerful tool for good and evil. Would you take your Bibles and open them to Daniel chapter 3 as we start a new chapter today in a Bible study that I've entitled, Music is a Powerful Tool. And I'll be reading from the New Living Translation, Daniel chapter 3, verse 1. King Nebuchadnezzar made a gold statue 90 feet tall and 9 feet wide and set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. Then he sent messages to the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted, people of all races and nations and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of the horn, flute, scyther, lyre, harp, pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. Anyone who refuses to obey will immediately be thrown into a blazing furnace. So at the sound of the musical instruments, all the people, whatever their race or nation or language, bowed to the ground and worshiped the gold statue that King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Now, a few years have passed between chapters 2 and 3. Some estimate as many as 20 years take place. You might want to write that in the margin between the last verse, verse 49 of chapter 2 and chapter 3. About 20 years has passed. You don't always see that as you're reading through the Bible chapter by chapter. And with the passing of time, things have changed. Remember, it was back in chapter 2 that Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that troubled him greatly. He called for all his magicians, astrologers, his soothsayers, and he demanded them not only to give the interpretation of the dream, but actually to give the dream itself, which was a test. And it was also a revelation, I believe, of Nebuchadnezzar's heart that he knew that those that he was calling really didn't have the kind of power that they said they did. And they failed the test. They weren't able to do it. But God could. And God shows up in front of Nebuchadnezzar through the life of Daniel. Just as many times God shows up in the lives of those you work with, those you live with, those you recreate with in the presence, he shows up in the presence of your life and your words and your presence. And we learned that what was going on in Daniel's life was a divine setup. It was an appointment by God that all that had happened in Daniel's life up to this point was in preparation for standing here before Nebuchadnezzar. 
And what had happened in Daniel's life was not good. He was literally kidnapped, stolen away from his homeland into a foreign land to be brainwashed in ways that were against the way he was raised, against his religion, against his commitments. And yet that was the human side. The divine side was God arranging and allowing and using circumstances to put Daniel at the right place at the right time. And that great image that the king saw in his dream was actually a peek into future history. The coming of world kingdoms would emerge and fall. And you'll recall that the image that he saw in his dream was, had the gold head which represented Babylon. And it had the chest and the arms of silver that represented the Medes and the Persians. The bellies and the thighs of bronze were the Grecian Empire. The legs of iron represented the Roman Empire. And then the feet that were mixed with iron and clay would represent a future empire, a revived Roman Empire, far into the future. And so after Daniel revealed the dream and interpreted for King Nebuchadnezzar, he's blown away, Nebuchadnezzar is, at the God of Daniel. And anytime God manifests himself in a miraculous way, it blows the minds of people. And they may not, they may not share that with you immediately, but God's word will not return void and neither will his presence. Notice back in verse 46 of chapter 2 to remember where Nebuchadnezzar is as we left off the chapter. It says in verse 46, Then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him. And he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. Verse 47, The king said to Daniel, Truly your God is the greatest of gods the Lord over kings, a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this secret. And then the king appointed Daniel to a high position and gave him many valuable gifts. He made Daniel ruler over the whole province of Babylon, as well as chief over all the wise men. At Daniel's request, the king appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to be in charge of all the affairs of the province of Babylon, while Daniel remained in the king's court. So he promotes Daniel. He praises God, even offering false worship. He's so overwhelmed. And then some time passes, about 20 years. Perhaps King Nebuchadnezzar began to wonder, who says my empire has to come to an end? Because that image re re represented that King Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon would not rule over the world forever. And maybe he began to second guess this revelation of God, this truth of God. Perhaps he thought in his mind, why can't this image be all gold? Why does it have to have the different metals involved? I'm not sure that I believe Daniel's interpretation. And his heart is not so enamored with the God of Daniel over time. As a matter of fact, God is pushed right out of the picture. Which reminds me of a couple things. First of all, when God reveals something to you, immediate obedience is the best choice. Because the longer you wait, the easier it is to talk you out of what you heard from the Lord. And it's just important that we respond as God reveals. It's important that we respond to what God teaches us. And it's important that we follow through with obedience, more obedience. As we abide in Christ and we stay put in our relationship with him, then obedience flows through our lives. But then when we begin to examine, you know, it, I think of the, the children of Israel when they sent spies into the land to spy out the land. Whenever I began to go to check out what God has already said, there's always the temptation to talk myself out of what God has already said. Because although the voice of God is very loud, 
I have found in my own mind my voice can be louder. That I am prone to listen to myself more than I listen to the Lord, which is one of the benefits of hiding God's word in our hearts so the Holy Spirit has the word to even, even as we, we try to pull back, the Holy Spirit will not allow us to pull back because God's word is inside of us. And so here Nebuchadnezzar, as you'll see, has a dramatic change. And the only thing that we can account that's given to us in the text is time. A significant amount of time. And I believe the same thing happens to you and me if we're not careful. Because we can have a great experience with the Lord. And we can enjoy a deep emotional tugging or a powerful song that grabbed our heart or a meaningful time of repentance. But those won't sustain you for the long haul. Experiences will not sustain you for the long haul. Because you know as well as I do, and certainly this testimony is true for some. You know, Pastor Ian introduced that song where we're singing and he's singing and we respond and he's singing and we respond. And then the way the song goes, it, it just continues to go up and go and it ends on such a high point. And so there we are singing that song on such a high point and then we go out to the parking lot and somebody backs out in front of us and we're not singing so much anymore. We have this great experience of great worship and then we face reality. We, we have a fender bender or we have some experience or something happened with our kid in the Sunday school or we have to go home to some of the things. You know, we were thinking, one of the things the Lord gave me today when we were praying over the requests that were offered this weekend is that for many people that filled out those papers, the, this 90 minutes on the property, or some of you stayed for two services, so a couple hours on the property here in this place that used to be just an open field, but now it houses a building where we worship together. For 90 minutes, you can be ushered into the very presence of the Lord. You're just captivated by his presence, by song, by Bible study, by fellowship, by serving. You're just captivated in the presence of God for 90 minutes. And then on minute 91, reality hits because we live in reality and we can't rely upon experiences. I have found that many people rely on experience and what they, what they rely upon is the gathering. Instead of allowing the gathering to be a place that encourages and uplifts and points us to the habitual surrender to Jesus Christ, it's like, you know what, I'm going to show up, I, I want to feel good, and I'm going to hopefully that feeling will last all week. But feelings don't sustain. What happens when your emotional tank is empty? What is it? What happens when you, instead of obeying what the Bible says and walking by faith and not by sight, what happens when your feelings are down and not up? Well, you're prone to attack. You become very vulnerable in the spiritual realm. Happiness is, such, is so dependent upon our circumstances. And if things are going well, then we tend to be very happy. And if things are not going so well, we tend not to be very happy. But joy transcends circumstance. Because joy is an inner, settled relationship with Jesus that, remember no matter, that, that reminds us no matter what happens, my God is faithful. He's with me. Promise never to leave me or forsake me. It may not even take 20 years for you to be talked out of your faith. It reminds me of a, another spiritual truth here, and that is in the times of waiting or in between chapters in your life, you've got to be careful who you listen to. You've got to be careful who speaks into your life. As we'll see in a moment, we've got to be careful what we deposit in the treasure chest of our hearts of who we are, the depth of our relationship with Jesus Christ. 
It's a daily relationship with Jesus. It's a moment-by-moment relationship to him as he reveals himself in his word. Turn over, hold your place in Daniel for a moment. Would you turn over to the Psalms with me? Psalm 72. I want you to see just a couple of truths in the Psalms to remind us of this daily, moment-by-moment walk with the Lord. In Psalm 72, notice with me verse 15. The psalmist declares, this psalm is attributed to Solomon. And the psalmist declares, Long live the king. May the gold of Sheba be given to him. And may the people always pray for him and bless him all day long. Now, if that is, if that is an instruction for an earthly king, how much more that we might be giving to God all of what we are and that we would always pray to him and bless him all day long. You know, the instruction to pray for an earthly king, oh Lord, bless it because a a blessed king is a blessed people, but how much more when we think of our relationship with the king of kings daily, moment by moment. Notice 61 verse 8, Psalm 61 verse 8. This is one of those themes that you could go throughout the Psalms and see this truth repeated over and over again that we might daily be in relationship with him. Notice verse, verse 8 of Psalm 61. It says, Then I will sing praises to your name forever, and I will fulfill my vows each day. One more, chapter 88, Psalm 88. And then put them in order, so you got to go all over the place. Psalm 88, left, right, left, right. Verse 9, Psalm 88, verse 9. My eyes are blinded by my tears. Each day I beg for your help, O Lord. And I lift my hands to you for mercy. As you know, and I mentioned it before, we're in our 20th year here in ministry in Colorado of serving God in this particular fellowship family. And when you're in the same place for 20 years, the same church for 20 years, you see a lot of change in the people. You see a lot of wonderful change. Maturity, you know, it starts with salvation or a recommitment. And then it's followed up by, by steady perseverance and then spiritual growth, and then family perhaps, and kids and grandkids and marriages. And it's a glorious thing to be around for 20 years to see people grow up and to see them launch off and perhaps go into ministry or, or seeing many of the young people that grew up in this church serving in this church still uh, in new relationship and marriages and with kids. It's beautiful and it's wonderful. And there's also a side that you see that's not so beautiful and it's not so wonderful. I've seen many men, and women, men, many men and women who once had such a strong walk with Jesus Christ raised in this church, raised in the teaching of this church and the worship of this church and the service of this church. They have been up on the front of the stage praying for you. They've showed up at the hospital for you or perhaps in previous years for other parts of the body. They've been relied upon in this church. They have been expected Uh, to fulfill their commitments and, and have borne much fruit in many ways through the life of the church, but now they're not living for the things of the Lord anymore. Or not as serious, not even walking with the Lord, some even denouncing their faith. I remember the first time I saw a young man come through the church here and just do, just see so many great things happen in his life. So many, so much progress. I had the privilege of personally serving alongside of him for a lot of the time that he was here. And then something happened 
I don't still quite know what. And he ended up heading off, and I, I don't even remember. I think he went to another state, but through another person, I found out that all of a sudden he declared himself an atheist. I mean, this brother, we, we had sweet communion together. I can recall walking the streets of New York right after 9-11 as we took a team down there and we began evangelizing. The whole city was wide open to the gospel. It seemed like everyone you stopped on the street was willing not only for you to pray with them, but to talk to them, open a Bible for them. It, it was an amazing time. I've never seen any time like that before. And I remember, I have pictures that still pray for this brother, that we were arm in arm, man. The, the brother is just such a gifted evangelist. God used him, and I, I love to be around him because he was so much easier to spark up conversations with him with me. And we just had such a great time coming back, and today he's not walking with the Lord. What is that, 17, 18 years later? And what happened? Well, we know spiritual warfare has happened. We know a series of decisions happened, but I know across the board, everything, all the things that, that each of the people that run through my mind, and I'm sure you can think of a few yourself, Everything, one thing that every one of them shared was time. Because like any real relationship, as you found out, the relationships are formed through two things, time and testing. Time and testing. And the testing only reveals how we will respond. And real, real relationships go through real testing, real challenges. There are times in real relationships that, that we're at odds with one another. We make mistakes with one another. That's the body of Christ, let alone our own personal relationships and our own family relationships. But time has a way of revealing how you deal with the doubts and discouragements. You know, you can make friends with your doubts and you can make friends with your discouragement and you can just kind of dwell in the place of doubt. And, you know, the enemy's lies always love to follow on doubts and discouragements. Or... You can see those doubts and discouragements as God's tools to turn you to a place of greater dependence upon him. Uh, turn you to a place of greater surrender on your part. That although it's hard right now, although it's hard right now, I wish you could have read some of the things that we read today before the throne room of God. Hard for some folks in our church doesn't even describe, doesn't even come close to what was written on those pages in that moment doesn't even come close. And yet, even though it's hard, that pressure is taking you to the God that loves you and cares for you. Nebuchadnezzar had some time to think about it. How, how does a person go to, from here in chapter 2, truly your God is the greatest gods of the Lord over the kings? How does that happen? That's where he started. And by the time a few years passes in chapter 3, he's having everybody in the kingdom bow down to a false image time and testing. Notice again in verse 1, it was King Nebuchadnezzar that made a gold statue. It was 90 feet tall, 9 feet wide. Set it up on the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon, and he sent messages to all the high officers, officials, governors, advisors, treasurers, judges, magistrates, and all the provincial officials to come to the dedication of the statue that he had set up. So all these officials came and stood before the statue King Nebuchadnezzar had set up. Then a herald shouted out, People, all races, nations, and languages, listen to the king's command. When you hear the sound of these musical instruments, the horn, the flute, the zither, the lyre, the harp, the pipes, and other musical instruments, bow to the ground for what? 
to worship King Nebuchadnezzar's gold statue. And anyone who refuses to obey will be immediately thrown into a blazing furnace. So here's the huge image set up by the king to represent the huge ego of the king. It was golden, proud, and standing tall there in the plains. And truly this image reflected the heart of Nebuchadnezzar, wanting to draw the praise and attention from the people of his kingdom. This image that he created was far greater than the image he saw in his dream because it was only one medal. And it was the medal that represented him. And so you could say that this image was a representation of King Nebuchadnezzar to the people. No other, no, none of the other medals are included. Gold is what it'll be because my kingdom will stand forever. But Nebuchadnezzar's in trouble here. And it doesn't take much to see that. He's consumed with himself and he's caught in the trap of his inflated pride. And God has a way of dealing with people like this. He has a way of deflating them and bringing them back down to earth. Have you found that to be true in your life? My pastor used to say that when your head swells up and it begins to swell up in pride, that God, like a, like a big balloon, that God has a pen that he knows how to pop that area of pride in your life. And he uses a lot of many, you know, the choice before us when it comes to pride and humility is, Number one, you can choose to humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and he will lift you up. That choice is given to you in the scriptures. Or you can allow God to humble you as he resists the proud, and he gives grace to the humble. But either way, humility will be found in our lives. And I'm not entirely sure about your personal walk with Jesus, but I know in my personal walk with Jesus, both of those steps of humility have a tendency to be painful to the pride in our lives. But it's far more painful when God humbles us than it is when we choose the path of humility in our lives. Pastor Ed Taylor is leading a study of Daniel right now on Abounding Grace. Thanks for taking part in today's Bible study. To hear it again, visit our website at AboundingGraceRadio.com, or you can hear us through our app. Simply search for Calvary Aurora in the App Store or Google Play and download the free app today. Also, look for our podcast wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. We couldn't be more excited about the resource we picked out for you this month. It's a book by Tom Doyle called Standing in the Fire. As followers of Christ, we need to know what it means to stand courageously for our faith in a climate of fear. In Standing in the Fire, you'll read about those who did stand strong rather than run away in the face of overwhelming danger. I know you'll be encouraged. And we'll gladly send you a copy when you support Abounding Grace today with a gift of $25 or more. Just pick up the phone right now and call 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-30-GRACE. And as we continue to get the word out on stations like this all across the nation, we'd appreciate your support. People need the truth of God's word in difficult times like these. And with your help, we're able to provide it to them. You can donate to the ministry at AboundingGraceRadio.com. Or again, call 877-30-GRACE. Pastor Ed, tomorrow you're going to show us how King Nebuchadnezzar actually used music to move the people to worship a false image. Can you tell us a little bit about that as a preview of what's to come? Well, you know, Larry, music is a powerful tool, and it's a tool that can be used for great good, and it's a tool that can be used for great evil. 
And Nebuchadnezzar, all through his pomp and circumstance, having people bow down to this huge golden image, uses music to set the tone and to set the mood. And that's what music does. Music has a way of cutting through barriers like language and cutting to the heart of emotions, bypassing the mind and getting to the emotions. And Nebuchadnezzar uses music to set the tone and set the mood, even as we have the choice of using music to set the tone and set the mood today. So I look forward to going through this. I'm excited about Daniel being on the radio. Uh, it's fresh. It's new. We just finished teaching this at Calvary Church, so it's, it's relevant to the times and relevant to the day. And yes, it's true. Music is a powerful tool, and you're going to see it used by Nebuchadnezzar. And let me just say this. It's more powerful in the hands of God when the music and the lyrics glorify theologically, emotionally, God and His goodness. We'll hear more about that tomorrow on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. We hope you can join us. This is amazing grace. Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church in Aurora, Colorado.